0: Good morning porch family greg barber here one of the worship leaders I want to welcome you to church online once again thanks for tuning in we are so grateful that you've decided to uh, choose to attend church with us online we here at the porch we exist to shine the light in the love of jesus and we do that by inviting you to belong to a family to grow in your faith and to give yourself away We've got a few things that i want to make you aware of that uh, you can point your attention to. The first thing is um, uh, the Porch Church lost a, a dear man uh, in the past couple weeks. Uh, Steve Brecht uh, has passed away and uh, suddenly and unexpectedly. And so be, be praying for the Brecht family uh, and in fact if you want to contribute we are doing a mill train uh, for Rochelle and her family. Um, there should be a link uh, in the uh, in the email, if you get that uh, weekly email from the porch, you should have a link to sign up. Uh, otherwise, we do have some information we can throw up on the screen here uh, as well. But be praying for them. Keep them in your prayers as they're kind of navigating uh, a really difficult time in the midst of you know, everything else that's going on. Uh, so I just want to pray for them right now. Father in heaven, I thank you for Rochelle and uh, and her family. I thank you, God, that, uh, that you've welcomed Steve home uh, even now in this time. Pray, Father, that uh, you would bring peace and uh, and comfort, God, uh, peace that passes understanding, that they would just not even know why they feel so much peace, uh, but at home, um, God, and I, I just thank you that you help them navigate this difficult time, that you help us as a church know how to help and care for them, uh, and God, that you would meet them in their sadness. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for praying with me for those guys, and continue to lift them up in prayer. Uh, One more thing is uh, if you're in the mood to continue praying, uh, we are doing prayer in the parking lot of the church. Uh, That's Saturday, July 11th from 8 to 9.30. And if you want to hear more, you can email Jeanette Perry at uh, sprkl0508 at yahoo.com. That'll be on the screen for you. You can uh, shoot her an email with more information. Otherwise, just show up and uh, and be ready to uh, unite in prayer with, uh, with the Porch Church. Also, uh, Chase and Malia have welcomed baby Gabriel home, and uh, they are still, um, you know, welcoming any gifts uh, or uh, contributions that you might have as far as diapers, uh, gift cards for, uh, for food to be delivered, DoorDash, that kind of stuff. Um, and if you just want to shoot them a message and, and uh, ask them if there's anything else that, that you might be able to contribute, I'm sure they would love that. Uh, it's Chase and Malia at ThePorchChurch.tv. Well, without further ado, we're going to uh, continue to to um, worship God here, and uh, we're going to worship by listening to uh, a great message that's coming up. You're going to enjoy this today. Blessings on you, church family. We'll talk to you soon. Good morning, Porch Church. It's so good to be
1: back with you this morning. Uh, we were taking some time off and had some travels, and so I've been missing you guys the last couple weeks. I'm excited to be back with you though a huge thanks to Andrew and to our board for uh, filling in some of those gaps so that I could have some time off. Uh, incredibly grateful for how Andrew finished the series and uh, for all that our board did also to help uh, give me some space and some uh, some time to think. So uh, before we jump into the message today I want to highlight just a couple of things for you. So uh, if you're looking for uh, ways to belong here at the porch i want to let you know that we're working on our reopening plan as we speak Uh, our leadership team is kind of looking at this from every angle and uh, we are content not being the first church open on the block uh, but we also want to use uh, godly wisdom and discernment to know when it makes the most sense to open so look for an announcement for that uh, coming up after the fourth of july weekend and uh, we'll be happy to invite you into those plans as they form up If you're looking for a way to grow here at The Porch, even during quarantine, uh, we're doing prayer in the parking lot June 11th in the morning, uh, 8.30 to 9.00 a.m. Excuse me, 8 to 9.30 a.m. If you have questions, you can email Jeanette Perry, and uh, her email address is up on the screen. So that's Prayer in the Parking Lot coming up July 11th in the morning, 8 to 9.30. And uh, you can email Jeanette if you have any other questions about that. Last but not least, uh, we have a meal train going on right now for uh, Rochelle Brecht. Uh, Her husband, Steve, suddenly passed away uh, just a few weeks ago. They've been cared for by their son's church, and uh, now it's our time to come alongside them as they grieve and mourn and as Rochelle tries to find uh, a new rhythm for life. So there's a link to that. Uh, You can go to porch.church backslash meals uh, or forward slash meals. I always get corrected on that, Uh, but you can go to porch.church slash meals, and uh, you'll find a link there to be able to sign up uh, to help Rochelle and her family uh, as they uh, move forward uh, after during this time uh, of loss. So if you're new here, we at The Porch Exist to shine the light in the love of Jesus. We do that by doing just those things that we highlighted, belonging, growing, and giving hope that you'll find that to be true as you join with us today. Now, today I'm I'm actually going to deviate from the plan a little bit. Uh, Andrew did a phenomenal job wrapping up our series, Hope in the Darkness. That's really all that I had planned for that series, but uh, given some space and some time away and kind of surveying what's going on in our world, I, I feel like there's a topic that we need to talk about that we can't ignore. I feel like it plays into this idea of being hope in the dark because there's some dark times going on right now, Uh, just down the street, just across the road with our brothers and sisters and friends who are from different ethnicities, different racial backgrounds than us and tensions are higher than ever, especially with the response to COVID that we've been having to endure today. So today was supposed to be our annual meeting, and so I didn't have much blocked into here, and we're going to be starting a parenting series next week called Arrows, and we're going to be looking at how children are like arrows in our quiver. That's going to be a great six-week series. You're going to want to stick around for that, especially because, I don't know about you, but my parenting needs some help with all that's going on with corona. I need some reorienting to remind myself and to be encouraged in the Lord for what my role is with my children. But today we're going to pause and we're going to take a breath. We're going to look at uh, a biblical response to Some of the racial tensions that are going on and in light of George Floyd and Elijah McLean and the hundreds of other African American voices uh, that have been silenced I just feel like it's our time to have a conversation as humans of course as people of faith and uh, vibrant people within our community so my my first response to how I wanted to conduct this conversation was uh, to call up Miss Angela January I don't know if you know who Angela is her husband Roy serves on our district leadership. Angela's preached uh, a time here and they were in our life group and I've been able to glean from them and learn from them especially in this issue of what it's like to be on the other side of my skin tone. So my first approach was to call Angela up and say, hey, we should do kind of a discussion forum, right? We'll both get on camera and I'll ask you questions and you can help us understand what it's like from your perspective. And, and very lovingly and very respectfully, Angela pushed back and said, you know what, Pastor Will, I've, I've been a part of those discussions a lot, actually, and, and I think that they're okay. But, but I think more than anything, what the church needs to hear right now is your voice is what you're learning as you process through. In other words, not just African-Americans standing up for African-American issues, but us as people who don't look like them, who don't have their experiences, but who are learning what it's like to be in that situation. I was really shocked by this. Uh, I don't know if you guys feel this on the other side of the audience or the camera here, but I try to let preaching be preaching. I let my personal stories come out and what I'm learning come out, but this time is not about me. This time is about God's Word and it's about what He teaches us, and so being challenged to share my personal journey on this issue uh, was something I needed to consider and think about as I've prayed, as I've sought out wise counsel. and. As I've dug through the scriptures and listened to what God has told me to do, uh, I'm, I'm confident that this is a positive direction for us to share as a church. So we're going to be walking forward and having this conversation. I'm going to ask first and foremost for your grace. I'll, I'll probably phrase a few things incorrectly. There's probably a few statements in here that may not be all the way thoroughly thought through, but this is my heart. This is what I'm learning, and this is where I'm attempting to lead not only myself, but also us as a church congregation. None of this is meant to be political or offensive or controversial. It's meant to be biblical and Christian and encouraging. So if that rubs you the wrong way, I'm sure we'll disagree at a time or two in here, but that's okay too. We're all in process and learning this together. I just don't think that as a human and as an American and as a Christian that we can let this cultural moment and opportunity pass by without us addressing it head-on as a family here at the church. So this is my story, my journey, and I'd like to invite you into it. For the longest time, race wasn't an issue for me. I know it's arrogant, but I grew up in the plains of the Midwest, suburbs of Omaha, Nebraska, and in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I can probably count on one hand the number of people who didn't look like me in my high school. Be that African American or Latino or anything else, we just didn't have a lot of diversity. So of course, race wasn't an issue for me, right? I can't be a racist. I don't even know any people with different skin color. Fast forward to college, same kind of story, I went to a small Christian college, there was more diversity on our campus and I had a few African American friends who were religion majors along with me. Again, I didn't see race as any kind of barrier or obstacle. To the best of my knowledge and ability, I treated them like equals. If anything, I was a little bit jealous because there was no way that my African-American friends could move a room in the way that they did. I was jealous a little bit of the fact of their powerful communication and the passion that they brought to preaching God's word. And for a long time, I thought that was the point, to not see the difference to just not see color, to treat everybody the same, and to treat everybody equanimity, and that was equality as best as I could understand it. Now, for a long time, that was my goal. I thought I was living up to the perspective there. But more than ever, this time around, and I say that because this isn't our first time having racial tensions in America, I'm hearing loud and clear that the point is not to ignore the differences in our skin tone. But the point is to acknowledge them, to champion them, to pay attention for them. Right? The popular statement is that it's not enough to not be racist, but we must become anti-racist in our thoughts and our behaviors and in our actions. What I've been learning is that by not seeing and championing the differences, I was doing a disservice to the experiences of my friends from different backgrounds. But I was also insulating myself from the painful journey of self discovery and self reflection, which would lead me to learn what I'm beginning to learn today that race and skin color and backgrounds and upbringing and socioeconomic status and citizenship status matter hugely and how we see and interact and belong with the larger society here in America. And for a long time, I think I misunderstood Galatians 3.28. I think I misapplied it in its nature. For Galatians 3.28 says this, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. See, I read that and I thought, well, we're all the same, right? Let's stop looking at our differences and let's be one in Christ. There isn't slave or free or Jew or Gentile or white or black or Latina or Asian, but we're all one in Christ, right? God is colorblind after all, but not male or female. I I don't think that changes when we choose to follow God, although maybe that's why our salvation numbers are so low. I don't know. See, if we interpret that verse as abandoning the categories that defined us before coming to Christ, then that would include our anatomy, which it doesn't. So if this verse isn't saying that, then, then what is it saying? Right? I'm learning that it's highlighting that the things that divide us, not as immaterial in following Christ, but that Christ unifies all these differences under one banner. He doesn't overwrite them. He doesn't stamp and change Jew to Christian and slave to Christian and male to Christian. He acknowledges the background and history of race and social status and sex. And he says, you belong here. He says, there's a there's a place for you at this table, at this banquet in heaven. Are you... African-American, black skin, you belong here. Do you have Latino skin? Is that your background, your cultural heritage? Then there's a place for you here. Are you LGBTQ or moving through that process? There's space and there's place for you here in God's kingdom. You understand that at the time of this writing that gentile was synonymous with sinner, one who was not following God, unclean. Jews were given instructions not to associate with gentiles. So while we may bristle in our theology about sin and God's love, scripture is clear. We all need grace and acceptance and a place to belong. And that's why here at the porch we want people to belong here. That isn't meant as just a churchy word, something easy to say and swallow. It's meant to be an honest, real-life level gut check. That no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what your skin color is or what your background is, there is room for you at the table. That you can find family and acceptance and that you can find belonging here in God's family. And that's because belonging doesn't change your past. It doesn't change your skin color or what you're going through or anything else. It's because Christ makes room at the table for everyone. And that's why I want to have this conversation today. I want to be a church where everyone can feel like they belong. Like there's a place of love and acceptance for them, not because they're perfect or cleaned up, or they have their life together, but because they're a child of God made in his image, and that we're fighting to be one under the lordship of Christ regardless of our differences. And we're still in process with this. We're not there yet, right? Is anyone in your room that you're sharing with right now perfect, right? Have you got this life thing figured out? Have you got sin completely mastered? Of course not. We're all on the journey together. As a matter of fact, St. Paul, right, the author of a good portion of the New Testament, he's still working it out in Philippians. Not that I've already obtained all this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold for that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. If Paul is still pressing on toward the goal, then we are too, or or at least we ought to be. And for too long in this issue, I'm afraid that maybe we as a church not just a local church but as a community of faith we we haven't been pressing towards the goal in terms of reconciling our faith in this race debate in terms of our faith and loving people who look differently from us christians have been known for being the most judgmental and hateful people in our country and i don't know about you but i don't want to be associated with that because last time I checked, God is love in 1 John chapter 3, and God so loved the world that he came not to condemn the world, but to save it, to reconcile it for himself, right? Our our nation, our country, our neighborhoods, our brothers and sisters, we need to find ways to come together and support each other, especially those who look different, who are in the minority, who need our voice to stand up and to claim with them, this is not right and has not not been right we need to keep pressing towards the goal under christ which is not unanimity which we've been perhaps aiming at for too long but we need to be pointing at being actually unified under christ We've been silent or opposed instead of open and accepting. Instead of advocates, we've been abdicators. Instead of caring for the most broken pieces of our society, we've looked out for number one, brothers and sisters. This cannot and should not be. So I'm I'm learning. I'm listening and I'm reevaluating my experiences because more than anything, I'm learning that my experiences aren't the same as. Others, never ever in my life, have I worried about a gun being pulled on me when I got pulled over for a traffic stop. I've never had to worry about keeping my hands visible when I get pulled over. I had an African-American woman in my office telling me how she was instructing her kids that in this time of uncertainty to make sure that if they ever get pulled over to keep their hands visible at all times, lest something tragic happens. I've never had to worry about taking my ID with me if I go out for a jog or for a walk. I never had to worry about the implications of wearing a face mask during COVID-19 and wondering if the person behind the counter was getting nervous because of my presence in his place of business. And here's what I'm learning. Just because it hasn't been my experience doesn't mean it hasn't been someone else's. Just because I haven't experienced it firsthand doesn't mean I get to dismiss it and say, no, that's not real, that's not true, that can't be your experience, because it's never happened to me. The reality is that we can have different experiences, even different perspectives on experience, based on where we're standing and what we've grown up with in our world. If you and I were on opposite street corners and we witnessed a car accident, we would both describe it very differently. I might say the car on the right was driving crazily and they swerved and they hit the car on the left. But from your vantage point, you would say, no, no, the car on the left swerved and hit the car on the right. We're both describing the same thing, our experience with it. But our perspective changes what we see and how we would even describe it. Right? For a long time, I, I bristled at this term, white privilege because I didn't like the idea of someone saying that I didn't do the work in my life to get where I am. I thought that it was demeaning for someone to accuse me of that. But when I actually started listening to what people were saying when they said that it wasn't that I was getting something for nothing, but it was drawing my attention to the differences in our stories, to the band-aids that have always matched my skin tone to the toys that were always in my racial identity profile. And I'm learning that just because someone has a different experience than me, that it doesn't invalidate my experience, but also my experience shouldn't trump or invalidate theirs. And for years, I didn't listen. I couldn't hear it. And the kingdom of God requires that we hear the cries of the oppressed and the outcast. That we care for the least and the loneliest. That the minority should not be dismissed because they are not the majority. That there's room at the table for everyone. And that if I'm sitting at the king's table, it's my job to save a seat for his children. All of them. And so here's what... I'm learning about my role in this conversation, in this moment, personally, as a person of faith, and also as a leader of this faith community. Number one, my job is to listen. My job is to listen, to hear appropriately. James 1.19 says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry quick to listen, quick to lend an ear, quick to, hey, let me hear your side of the story. I want to hear your heart and understand what you're feeling. As a Christ follower, I should be first in line to hear about someone else's experience and their side of the story, to listen to how the world looks and sounds and how they experience it. In these times, I'm I'm trying to do a better job listening. I've reached out to some of my relationships with people who have different skin tones or who come from a different background, an ethnic background, than I've grown up. And I've asked to hear their stories and their perspective. I've asked for a reading list of books that I can read to educate myself. I'll put a few of those up on the screen. You can take a screenshot of this, Amazon them later. But the point is that we have to expand our point of view. Right, My point of view is not the only point of view. There are other vantage points, other points for us to learn, to understand and see how systems and processes and places that are unfamiliar to us that we didn't grow up in and we don't experience, we have to learn to listen to those opportunities. We have to be better listeners, to ask better questions, to listen to different voices and hear other points of view other than my own. So the first thing that I'm doing right now in the world today is I'm, I'm learning to listen better, hopefully, especially to people, of color. Secondly, my job is to speak. If we go back to James one nineteen, it says be quick to listen and slow to speak, but it does say to speak. When when George Floyd was murdered, I I wrote something. My intention was to share it on social media to express my disgust with the situation. Before I posted it though, I just I deleted it. I thought the world didn't need one more white male perspective coming out in this event. I thought my first job was to listen, and, and maybe it was, I'm not faulting myself for that, but nonetheless scripture says that after we listen that we should speak. Not rashly, not quickly, but that we should step back hear the wisdom, and that we should communicate God's truth, that we should speak that. It isn't just the job of African Americans or Latinos or people who are in different backgrounds than us. It's our job also to champion their cause. It's my job to cry out on behalf of them. According to Isaiah 58, it's our job to loose the chains of injustice. Isaiah 58, the Lord chastises the people. He says, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, and to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see them naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Our role is not to tolerate injustice, period. To not turn away from our own flesh and blood. The human across the aisle, across the street, across the socioeconomic divide from us. The Lord in this passage is chastising his people because they haven't done their job. They thought it was religious festivals and Sunday morning worship and saying amen after a good message. And God says, that's not the type of faith that I want. He says, I want injustice gone. I want the oppressed In Amos 5, in the message, he says it this way, God speaking, do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. And that's all I want. Isaiah 58, the prophet goes on to explain what happens when his people do the things that God asks them to do to loose the chains of injustice, to break the yoke of oppression. The result of that is a beautiful, glorious kingdom picture of what the people of God ought out to look like. He says, Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noon day. The Lord will always guide you. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. He will strengthen your frame. You will be a well-watered garden like a spring whose waters never fail. What if the reason that we don't see God move in the way that we want is because we've tolerated injustice and oppression, that we haven't spoken out as individuals and people made in the image of God, as those witnesses to Jesus' work and the Holy Spirit inside us, that we've quenched it because we aren't speaking, because we aren't acting, because we aren't advocating. We're just silent and on the sidelines. When we do what God asks us to do, to be the people that he calls us to be, he says that our righteousness will shine like the dawn, that our healing will come quickly, that he'll be our defender, our protector, that we'll be blessed and encouraged, and if the Lord isn't fighting for us, if that isn't our experience, then perhaps we aren't doing the job that he's called us to do. We aren't loosing the chains of injustice. We're just watching people chafe under them or, heaven forbid, perhaps we're even making them tighter. So I'm listening. I'm learning. and I'm speaking from what I'm learning and hearing. Lastly, my job, I even think I would go so far as to say our job is to love. Our job is to love. So much backlash in these past weeks about the way in which people are throwing off their oppression. The riots, the looting, all of those things, which I in no way am condoning. But it's not my job to judge. I'm not saying it's okay, but I am saying that if it were my experience, the level of oppression, and if I were worried about my sons and daughters and grandchildren being murdered in the street, and after time and time again of nothing being done, I might not respond in the most legal manner either. My job is to love people, period. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's Jesus's job to administer grace. I'm just here to love people and to point them to Jesus. To save them a seat at the table to invite them in and to say there's a place in God's kingdom for you and I love you and I want to journey with you together. That's what my role is. And it's incredibly important to know that we don't love people with simply our personal internal love. It's our job to take the love of God that he's given us and to translate that love to other people as the Holy Spirit enables us. That the spirit that's within us doesn't just get squelched, but that we enable him to allow us to love others, even who look differently than us, with the same capacity that he's going to love them. That's our role, is to be a conduit for the love that the Holy Spirit has for them, regardless of our differences. And a controversial way right now that I don't think is controversial is that love sounds like this simple phrase. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. They they do. Because to say anything different is to say that black lives don't, matter and if we have to put an asterisk after that that says all lives matter of course all lives matter that's the point of the conversation is that our african-american brothers and sisters are not feeling that all life matters because their lives don't matter Therefore, we champion that cause and we say, yes, black lives matter. Latino lives matter. The lives of children stuck at the border in inhumane conditions matter. The lives of the unborn matter. The lives of LGBTQ people matter. All life matters. That's the point. And so black lives matter. And I know that there's political jargon associated with now that there's an organization that we might not agree with and all of these other things. I get it. I'm not trying to support any of that. I'm not trying to make a political statement. I want to take the words for what they are. Do black lives matter? Yes. Emphatically, 1,000 times, yes. It's not my job to judge or to put up a legal defense or to interpret or to put caveats. I'm called to love. Period. Romans 13:8 would say it this way. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Scripture says that we owe it to the people around us and not just the people who look like us, that we owe a debt to the stranger and the orphan, to the brown skin and the black skin, to people from every walk of life. We are indebted to them to show them the love of God that we receive. And as Christ followers, that should be our defining hallmark, the defining characteristic of following Jesus in our lives. Behold how they love one another. And I think that as a church and as an individual, I surely need to repent. And I think as the universal church, we need to do a better job in this conversation. And so as the pastor at this church, I'm going first. I'm asking for forgiveness when I've been short-sighted, when I've missed the mark, or when I've avoided an awkward conversation because of race or background or some other factor. I'm asking for help and for feedback as we journey together. Let me know what it's like on the other side of me, especially to those people with differing backgrounds. I'm also asking for your partnership in the gospel that change would start with us. That we would carve out a little space of eternity here on Chenango Drive and that that would reflect the kingdom of God, which means that it would reflect every nationality, every story, every every background, and that the love of God would permeate this place. That we would loose the cords of injustice, not only on the people that were called to help, but to become the people that God has called us to become in our following of Him. And in so doing, to receive the promises that he gives to his people who live with his purposes for their lives. This is my story in this conversation. I hope you'll join me in sharing your story. I'd love to hear your story, whether that's a phone call, an email, a text message. We can go back out to the coffee shops. I think those are getting back open now. But I'd love to listen to you. I'd love to listen with you as we explore this subject together. I'd love for us to speak together and to come into contact with people who we can encourage and be mutually encouraged and learn from around this topic and this issue. But more than anything else, I would love to be partnered with you to seek to love the people surrounding us in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our places of work, in this very community around us who do not feel the love of God, who do not experience it from the church, and who are feeling marginalized and oppressed instead of love and care for. I would love to find a way to let those people know that they belong here. Thanks for listening to this with me. I hope it's challenged and encouraged you. I hope that you take something away from this, even if it's on your own personal journey.